Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We are making our way through 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the final chapter of this epistle. A short chapter, but a very, very important one as Paul concludes the things that he needs to cover with the Corinthian Christians before he visits with them. And he tells us, or tells them, and us by extension, in verses 1 through 3, that he's going to examine the church when he gets there to make sure that they are living according to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor him with their lives rather than disobeying him and bringing reproach upon his name. He tells them that this examination will be principled. It will be done with proper testimony, with proper evidence. It will not No one will be charged that is not proved to be guilty, but nevertheless, it will be carried out in a way that is principled, but also it's going to be painful, and it will be powerful. It will will manifest that Paul can be powerful in his personal presence and his personal speech when that is called for. That's not his usual style, but he is certainly able to do that when it is needed. So basically he says, watch out, here I come, and you're going to see that I have as much personal power in my personal presence as I do in my letters, which you acknowledge are weighty and powerful. So examination followed in verse 4 by explanation. And there, Paul, you may recall, explains why he may seem to be not very powerful in his personal presence. And why is that? Because he is acting like Jesus Christ. That's why. Christ, who was crucified in weakness, though he had the power to prevent it, but he did not. He deliberately chose weakness for the work of the cross, but he demonstrated his power in his resurrection. And Paul says, likewise, I conduct my ministry primarily in meekness, which really should not be confused for weakness, but it often is. But make no mistake about it, I am, I am carrying with me the power of Christ, and you should know that. You were converted under my preaching. That's the power of Christ within me. You have seen the signs of an apostle, the miracles that I performed in your presence. That's the power of Christ within me. So don't be deceived by these critics who are misrepresenting who I am and what I am like. And so that will bring us then thirdly to 
the important exhortation of verse 5. And we'll get into that on this Wednesday, December 6. Grateful for the opportunity of meeting with you. And so thankful for those who remember our need of financial support. Perhaps you will consider a special year-end gift for the Beacon Broadcast. Verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. Exhortation. And the exhortation is that the most important object for examination is ourselves. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Emphatic. Emphatic language in the original Greek. Not examining Paul, not examining others, not examining other Christians, not looking for things to criticize in other people. Your greatest scrutiny, your, your highest level of examination, your highest standard for how people should conduct themselves must be for yourself. Not that it's always improper to evaluate ministers like Paul. There's a rightful place for that. Not that it's always improper to be concerned about obvious needs that manifest themselves in the lives of your fellow church believers. But, 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 your first area of examination, your most constant area of examination should be yourself. Because... What we observe over time is that those who are most critical of others are often guilty of worse sins themselves. Haven't you found that to be the case? We see that in public life, people who are critical of others and then, whoop, scandal. Their own lives are, are shown to be far worse than the people that they have been accusing. In fact, what happens is when you are living a double life, when you are committing sin and hiding it, you will often see everyone else through the lens of your own sin. In other words, if you are untrustworthy, you tend to think everybody else is. If you are dishonest, you tend to think that everybody else is. If you are immoral, you tend to think that everybody else is, and on it goes. That's what often happens. And those who are most critical of others are often guilty of the same sins that they're criticizing other people for, and many times even worse sins. So Paul says, you should make yourself, not others, the main object of your examination. Again, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And what is the most important subject of our examination? The most important object is me, not others, but me. And what is the most important object, or the most important subject, rather, for my examination of myself? And the most important subject of that examination is the subject of salvation, of conversion. Have I been truly saved? Examine yourselves, he says in verse 5, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves to see if Jesus Christ is truly in you. Now, whenever I approach this subject, I'm aware that there will be some people who are 
prone to endless self-examination and to endless self-doubt. People who seem to never be able to get assurance of salvation who really should. They have they have spiritual and biblically grounded evidence in their lives, but they seem to be of such a personality, such a nature, nature that they can never quite come to any settled conclusion about themselves. That is one condition, and I don't really enjoy the prospect of adding to somebody's burden in that regard, though I know just approaching the subject may do that. But what is far, 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 far more common is for people to be very careless about whether or not they're truly saved. It is far more common for people to take a historical profession of faith and run with it and be done with it, be done with any self-examination. Well, of course I'm going to heaven. Of course I've been born again. Why, I went forward in the revival service 15 years ago, and it's now settled. The old account was settled long ago. Well, indeed it was, if you, in, in fact, were born again at that time. But a profession of faith is not proof of a possession of new life. And it is possible to make a decision for Christ and yet not to be born again. It's possible to make a profession of faith but to be lost. And there's nothing worse than going out into eternity lost, unless it would be going out into eternity having a false assurance of salvation when you are, in fact, lost. That's even sadder. That's even worse. And there are a lot of people in that category. Why did Jesus tell the parable of the sower and the four soils? Because he was making this very point that Paul is making here. We need to examine ourselves. We need to test ourselves. Remember that parable? The sower went out to sow. He scattered seed in four different categories of soil. Some of his seed fell on the road, on the hard-packed path that was so packed down by the travel, of the, the, the tramping of feet, both human and animal, and perhaps the wheels of ox carts and so forth, that it was so, so hard that the seed didn't penetrate at all. Nothing grew up there. That was wasted seed. But... There were three other categories where something sprang up. Every one of the other three categories produced something, but only one of them produced genuine salvation. In one case, the seed sprang up, and then it was choked out by thorns. In another case, the seed sprang up, but it was choked out by the scorching sun because it was on rocky soil and it couldn't get roots down deep enough to withstand the blazing sun. And so it died out. And there was only one category of soil that had been properly prepared, properly tilled, in which the seed sprang up but continued to grow and grow and grow and mature and produce fruit. And that category represents a true genuine Christian. But three of the four categories represent a profession of faith in which something happened initially. Now, why did Christ tell that parable? He told that parable so that we would realize that it is possible to make a profession of faith. It is possible to experience something that you 
believe is salvation, that you believe is the new birth, but turns out not to be. And so if you are wise, you will listen to admonitions like the one that Christ gave in the, in the telling of that parable, and to admonitions like the one the Apostle Paul gives to the Corinthian church to examine yourselves. For what? To see whether you are in the faith. Don't just assume that a past profession of faith is automatically the real thing. Don't you doubt it. If you, if you prayed this prayer and asked Jesus into your heart, then don't you ever doubt it. Don't let anyone ever make you doubt it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that it ought to be examined. Well, la-di-da, who do we believe? Somebody who gives you that kind of advice or scripture which gives you the opposite advice. What are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to a man who clearly has some things wrong in his understanding? Or are you going to listen to the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and guided in what he spoke and wrote by the Holy Spirit of God? This is God speaking through the Apostle Paul, and he says to those who have made professions of faith in the past, he says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Evidently, it's possible for people to have prayed a prayer and not be saved, to have made a profession of faith and not be saved, to have have convinced others, at least initially, that they have become a follower of Christ, but they are not. They're following men. They're following friends. They're following something else, but they're not followers of Christ. Until tomorrow, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.